from Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. Right now, we'll look at the movie marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going sharing some opinions from my perspective after decades of talking about Hollywood on CNN Entertainment Tonight and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist. April got off to a lively start with Morbius, while the Oscars suffered a deadly crash with Will Smith. Today on Box Office Autopsy, we'll focus on the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's bad and ugly as in Will Smith smacking Chris Rock on stage on the live global Oscar cast. Later, we'll shine our Oscar outcome spotlight on the disastrous 94th Annual Academy Awards. But let's start with the good news. A spring parade of movies is now underway with Sony and Marvel's PG-13 vampirism thriller Morbius opening number one to $39.1 million. It's a booster shot injecting new life at the box office. Exhibitors only expected to see 31 to 33 million. Sony said it was figuring 33 million. Media projections were higher with 30 to 40 million. Internationally, Morbius grossed 44.9 million for a global cum of 84 million dollars. Since Morbius reportedly cost just $75 million to make, Sony and Marvel are off to an encouraging start, especially since it's really a dark thriller, not a typical Marvel superhero adventure. Here's a quick scene showing why Morbius was a must-see movie for fans. You need a doctor? I am a doctor. I should have died years ago. People all over the world have my disease. I'm here. To find a cure. We have to push the boundaries, take the risks. If you're gonna run, do it now. Morbius, you've been missing for two months. When you're a stranger, then you were found on a container ship that washed up off a Long Island. Faces look ugly when you're alone. On tracking, Morbius had an average first choice score that was more than twice the norm. Its top demo, men over 25, were nearly three times the norm. Men under 25 also were eager to see it, with eight points over norm. Critics hated it, 
just 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, but audiences are happier with 69%. Morbius sent last week's top film, Paramount and Fortis Films' PG-13 action-adventure comedy, The Lost City, to second place with $14.8 million, down 51%. It's done 54.6 million domestic, plus 7 million from early overseas playdates for a worldwide cum of $61.6 million. The star power of Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe, and Brad Pitt is bringing adult women back to cinemas as Omicron restrictions across the country are fading. Warner Brothers and DC's The Batman finished third in Weekend 5 with $10.8 million off, 47%. The Cape Crusaders looking great with $349 million domestic plus $361.5 million internationally for a worldwide cum of $710.5 million. Cinemas should be very busy throughout April as studios do what they really haven't done the past few years, put movies into theaters for people to see. Multiplex parking lots should fill up next weekend with the arrival of Paramount and Original Films PG animated and live-action comedy adventure Sonic the Hedgehog 2 starring Jim Carrey. This scene, called Meet Knuckles, shows why Sonic 2 will top the April 8th box office chart. I don't know how you got back, but you made a big mistake coming here. Oh, contraire, mon frere. The mistake was thinking you'd won. I get it. <laughs> I don't think you do. But you're about to. And so will that idiot sheriff and his wife. And your little dog, too! My new BFFAE, bestest friend forever and ever. Sonic 2's a strong first choice for men and women under 25. Both demos are 8 points over norm. It's 62% rotten with critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's really not the kind of film where critics make a difference. Exhibitors are projecting a $40 million plus opening. Also set to kick up the box office heat next weekend is Universal and Bay Films R-rated action crime drama Ambulance. Directed by the Transformers franchise's Michael Bay, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Critics are 72% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Exhibitors are thinking 15 million plus. Here's a quick scene from Ambulance that just might make you want to see more. Officers down in front of the bank. Automatic weapons being fired. Easy, easy, easy. You want to drive or can I drive? Bank robbery suspects have taken an ambulance. I got a cop shot. Got to get him to the hospital. We're doing hostages now. Drive! I came to you for a loan. 
You're my brother. Have I ever gotten you anything that I couldn't get you out of? Lock everything down. We're just trying to get home. We don't get to walk off into the sunset. I have a plan. Police are following these two suspects. Get chill out. Get chill out. Hit me up. What's going on in there? These guys are nut jobs. Right here it is! Sailing takes me away to where I've always wanted to be. Hey, what's up, big guy? Just waking up? Does your wife know you're up, Banks? Things to be the way they used to be. We are trying to save you. I'm gonna get you back home, little brother. And get everybody home. Snatch show me up. Snatch show me up. April 8th. That Universal's opening it only in theaters and not day and date with Peacock should be a big help. Between them, Sonic 2 and Ambulance should put $65 million or more into next weekend's marketplace. As April unfolds, the hits will keep on coming. Easter weekend, which starts April 15th, will bring Warner Brothers and Heyday Films, PG-13 Fantasy Adventure, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, starring Eddie Redmayne and Jude Law. Happily, Warner Brothers' theatrical releases are no longer being dragged down by day-and-date streaming on HBO Max. April 22nd has a likely hit in Lionsgate and Saturn Films' action crime comedy, the unbearable weight of massive talent starring Nicolas Cage. Word of mouth is likely to play a big part in making weight a heavy hitter. Now that families are returning to theaters, the timing is perfect for Universal and DreamWorks Animation's PG comedy adventure, The Bad Guys, also opening April 22nd. Moms with kids will find a good time with bad. Sleepers are hit films that start out under the radar and surprise us at the box office. They're few and far between these days, but it looks like ones on the horizon now in Briar Cliff and Open Roads, R-rated action thriller Memory, opening April 29th, which just hit the tracking with Early Energy, directed by Martin Campbell, Director of the 2006 James Bond epic Casino Royale, Memory is a Hitman Tale starring Liam Neeson. Its definite interest scores four weeks out for men under 25 are already 12 points over norm. There's also very strong interest from women over 25 who are 16 points over norm. There aren't any other wide openings April 29th, so remember to keep an eye on memory. 
Meanwhile, with the 94th annual Oscars happily over, but far from done with, let's turn on our Oscar outcome spotlight. Normally, we'd be talking about the wins for Best Picture, Directing, and Acting, but they've all been overshadowed, unfairly so, by Will Smith rushing the stage to clobber Chris Rock. After Rock's stupid and thoughtless unplanned joke poking fun at Smith's wife, whose medical condition accounts for her short-cropped hair, Smith lost control and smacked Rock. Academy CEO Don Hudson and President David Rubin allowed Smith to stay in his front-row seats and await his much-anticipated Best Actor win for King Richard for which he received a standing ovation from the same crowd that had just seen him nearly knock rock off his feet. Since then, every day has brought new versions of what happened and why Smith wasn't arrested or at least thrown out the way any non-movie superstar who did the same thing would have been. Varying accounts of the event put the blame on everyone, depending who's speaking off the record, and to which media outlet. Smith resigned Friday afternoon from the Academy, which of course prevents the Academy from tossing him out. Bottom line, all the fuss over Smith striking rock has overshadowed the fact that the Oscars ran about three hours and 45 minutes, way more than the three-hour limit ABC had specified, also buried by the Smith vs. Rock media coverage are the show's dismal ratings. Although those ratings are up a bit from last year's pandemic depths when Nomadland won Best Picture, that's not the best comparison to make. The 93rd Oscars last April 25th at LA's Union Station had no host and few attendees. They were a ratings disaster with 10.4 million viewers and a 5.9 rating for adults in the key 18 to 49 demo. This year's 16.6 million viewers and 3.8 rating is nothing to be happy about. The better comparison is to 2020, when the pre-COVID 92nd Oscars delivered 23.6 million viewers and a 13.6 rating as Parasite won Best Picture. That was down from 29.6 million viewers and a 16.4 rating in 2019, when Green Book won Best Picture. That's a ratings curve ABC can't be happy with, since Madison Avenue won't keep paying $2 million or more for commercials to reach that small an audience. Moreover, now that Smith's tarnished the Oscars' reputation, some sponsors might not want to risk any future disruptions. The controversy will play out for many months to come and will follow every twist and turn here. For now, it's worth noting that Apple TV's Best Picture win with Coda, which it acquired at Sundance for a record $25 million, must have given Netflix pause for thought. It's the first time a streamer's taken home a Best Picture Oscar, and it wasn't a Netflix victory. Netflix has come very close through 
great awards campaigning in recent years with Roma, The Irishman, Mank, and The Trial of the Chicago 7, but Apple just walked in and won, spending just a fraction of what Netflix reportedly does to play the game. Worse yet, Netflix also struck out in the animated feature race. Netflix's The Mitchells vs. The Machines was looking good after winning the Annie and the Critics' Choice Best Animated Feature Awards, but the Oscar went to Walt Disney Animations and Kanto. After all this depressing Oscar talk, here's a look at Encanto's premiere that should at least end today's podcast with a smile. So much excitement! I can't believe this night is here. I don't think anyone has seen an adventure this colorful. The music is something you're going to be like, if Disney couldn't top themselves enough, this is one of those movies. We really wanted to bring an entire multi-generational family on screen, and it was so exciting to musicalize that. Carlos Vives, one of the great Colombian musicians, he's such a talent. La canción que yo canto es una canción que es la mezcla de todo lo que somos como colombianos. To see Disney's 60th animated movie on a big screen, it's outstanding. This is a real family movie. I hope people go with their families, and I can't wait for the world to see it. The fate of the family, it's gonna come down to you. I will save the magic. And that's it for today's box office autopsy. We'll be back next week to talk about the openings of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Ambulance, and we'll keep our Oscar outcome spotlight on Hollywood's embattled Academy. So please join us again then, and thanks very much for listening. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for April 3rd, 1968. When we say Oscar's not fond of sci-fi, that includes classics like Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, which MGM premiered in New York April 3, 1968. Given its legendary status, it's hard to believe 2001's only Oscar win was for Kubrick's visual effects. It didn't lose for Best Picture, as it wasn't even nominated. There were, however, losses for Kubrick for directing and co-writing with Arthur C. Clarke, and a loss for art direction set decoration. The Academy had nominated Kubrick and Clark for original screenplay, although they'd based their script on Clark's 1948 short story, The Sentinel. The Oscar went to Mel Brooks for writing The Producers. No one was shocked in 1969 by Oscar's snubs because the critics hated 2001. The New York Times called it, quote, somewhere between hypnotic and immensely boring. In 
variety loathed its confusing, long unfolding plot, unquote. And the New Yorker's Pauline Kale dismissed it as, quote, the biggest amateur movie of them all. The bad reviews were no surprise. At the New York premiere, 241 people walked out, including Rock Hudson, who asked, quote, will someone tell me what the hell this is about? Unquote. Actually, the filmmakers set out to avoid linear Hollywood storytelling. If you understand 2001 completely, we failed, Clark noted. We wanted to raise far more questions than we answered. Since then, of course, Hollywood's come to understand and applaud 2001. Steven Spielberg said it was, quote, the Big Bang for his generation of filmmakers, and George Lucas acknowledged it was a major influence on Star Wars. The project originated with Kubrick reaching out to Clark, saying he wanted to make, quote, the proverbial good science fiction movie. Clark suggested his story Sentinel, where an alien object is discovered on the moon. The 2001 movie and the novel that they co-wrote opens with a Dawn of Man scene relating to another Clark story, Encounter at Dawn, while the film's Star Child ending echoes Clark's novel, Childhood's End. When 2001 opened, it didn't do well at the box office. MGM was going to pull it out of theaters, but held off because exhibitors started to notice large numbers of young adults coming to see it. Their enthusiasm for 2001 came from watching the Stargate ending where the astronaut Dave, Keir DeLay, becomes a fetus within a transparent bubble floating in space. Watching this after they'd taken psychedelic drugs generated great word of mouth that made 2001 a box office hit with solid ticket sales of $60.5 million. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.